0: Welcome back to another episode of the Other Side of Grace podcast. I am here with my good friend, uh, a long, long lost friend, I feel like, uh, the Reverend Joshua Shrunk. Uh, He and I actually attended college together a long time ago. Uh, We won't give away the amount of years that was. Um, So Josh, um, welcome to the show. I'm glad to finally have you on. Um, Why don't you tell us about yourself a little bit? so uh so as you said
1: we are um old and long lost friends uh what david left out is that he actually worked with me at one of my uh one of my early pastorates which is um actually one of the highlights of my ministry was working with david yeah well you were a lot of fun and um and you were also one of the first associates i'd ever had that i was responsible for so that was exciting times for me um the church was not as exciting, but that's another conversation for another day.
0: <laughs> yeah, we I, we um, will unpack that.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, that's not what this is about. So anyway, so um, yeah, so I went to uh, I went to college, and. Um, Did a little bit of pastoring and then um felt like i needed to keep going for more education and uh, and i went on and got uh, a master's and then another master's and because you can never have enough masters to be master anyway um and uh, i ended up actually running a christian school down in Florida for a little while and then um, that led to getting a doctorate in education only to return to the pastorate because that makes sense. And, um, and so I've been pastoring this, uh, this great little church up in um, the southwest of Pennsylvania. So it's up in the southwest of Pennsylvania um, by the Pittsburgh area for about 12 years now. Um, did some uh, did some teaching uh for a little while and um, and that was a lot of fun and wrote a book and and just you know odds and ends and great thing about uh pastoring in the same church for a really long time is that you get to build these long standing relationships and it starts to open up doors for ministry that uh you might not have expected and you get more time to kind of let things settle and and uh, because we had a lot of transition early in my life um and my ministry we transitioned a lot i think i moved like 20 times in the first 15 years of my marriage it was horrible Um, i mean i thought it was awesome at the time but looking back it was pretty traumatic for everybody else i was like let's move to this new place (laughs) come on kids what you just made friends who cares (laughs) so yeah um
0: friends kids don't need them kids don't need friends that's
1: right and uh yeah if you want to read all about my failures that's all in the book i wrote (laughs) good times 101 ways to screw up your family which
0: (laughs) amazon bestseller that's right that's right Uh, shockingly not (laughs) but
1: um anyway but yeah so so uh so it's been uh it's been a crazy ride um yeah that's what i'm doing now so oh i have uh i it took a while when uh, david and i first met um when you and i first met so i don't know why i just spoke about you in the third person <laughs> when you and I first met, um, thinking about people listening that's so funny uh when you and i first met i had three kids and now i have 10 kids um and two grandkids two of, two of my awesome. uh, my oldest two got married and they each had children and so now i've got 10 kids and two
0: grandkids and i look forward to taking over the world <laughs> yeah you're on your way definitely taking over the world <laughs> <laughs> anyway. now okay. i'm hoping that some of your kids have a little bit more height than you um no. yeah you know. no No, actually that's not true they
1: uh, as a matter of fact almost all of them are taller than me it's really (laughs) lovely (laughs) luckily i still have you know a six-year-old and a nine-year-old who are not taller than me thank god but no for the most part they either look me in the eye or they're taller than me it's really very irritating but i always tell them you're not going to get too tall because we're all dwarves and uh you know
0: I think that's why we made such great friends because you were like the perfect uh, shoulder rest for me. Like you know, <laughs> I do remember multiple conversations about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, yeah, so I'm going to throw you into the uh, the attacking army. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, today we are discussing um, my devotional, uh, Keep Watch With Me. This is actually a, a part one of two parts. Um, and if, uh, if, if Josh wants to be back for a second part, we'll we'll uh, do that maybe in the future. But today uh, we are going to be talking about that. And I just want to quickly read uh, Mark 14, 33 through 35. It says, uh, He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that, if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. So, with that, we will do first sips, which is the time of the show where we sip coffee ridiculously loud and annoying and talk about our first impressions.
1: <laughs> You're right there, I've buddy. Never, I've never attempted to drink coffee ridiculously loud before. That's actually harder than it sounds. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we've had a lot of practice on the show.
1: Not to mention, right? my <laughs> my background screen keeps blinking out on me. Like I feel like I'm in the Matrix over here.
0: <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. I don't know that we've ever had anyone on the show with a uh, virtual background before. I think that's that's pretty amazing. Well, you know, I'm still waiting I, for you to get up and play your piano though
1: i uh, I have virtual intelligence and so that matches my virtual background uh,
0: <laughs> All right <laughs> Tell us tell us uh, as you read this uh, what were some of your first impressions? What did God uh, really show you? So um the thing that uh,
1: the thing that really jumped out to me um and it's been, Uh, It's been kind of core to uh, to my ministry over over the last probably 12 or 15 years is the exploration of uh, of the concept of covenant and covenant partnership. And uh, I was really I was really struck um, at this text and, and the devotional you put together for the text um and how much it exemplified those uh those concepts I um it, one of the things that's really fascinating to me I've been at this for a long time I was like 14 when I started reading the Bible for myself and and so like I've been reading the scripture for a really long time um and uh and yet there's always something new like like I'm always shocked By how i see things and i go wow how did i not see that before and in some ways this text was that way where it was like i'm looking at it and for the first time i'm going oh wow this really exemplifies that concept of covenant partnership the idea that god brings us into a relationship with himself it's not just the relationship of a subordinate or a um or a dependent but is of a partner and so jesus says to his disciples hey come with me do this with me be a part of this with me and which is shocking just on a lot of levels because i mean it's jesus so for starters like we're talking about these three guys who half the time couldn't keep their feet out of their mouths like they were they were all morons and uh, at this point in the story relax relax it's, i know acts two comes but like at this point in the story they're nitwits and uh the um you know so he's like hey you come with me and but not just that but the this is god in flesh so it's like god saying hey come with me <laughs> hey come pray.' That's just like that's a crazy thought especially because so often as christians we focus on like romans where it says that the holy spirit in us cries out on our behalf and we have a Mm -hmm. tendency to think of god's prayer for us replacing our prayers not god inviting us to pray with him and um and i thought that was uh i thought that was really kind of profound and i like the way you drew that out in the devotional yeah
0: that's that's a That's a really good point. And honestly, I think you've done a better job of explaining that than I did. But (laughs) see, this is why I liked going to college with you because the professor would say something and I'd be like, what's he talking about? And you just explain it.
1: (laughs) I have a a gift for rephrasing.
0: (laughs) That's my my spiritual gift. Rephrasing is definitely a spiritual gift. Uh, well, that's, that's awesome. And I, I definitely, I think let's, let's dive deeper into that as we go along. Um, so one of my, um, of course, you know, I wrote this, so doing first impressions is kind of funny for me, but uh, as I went back and read it uh, because it's been a couple of years since I wrote this, um, the idea of partnership, divine partnership, as you talked about um, or covenant partnership uh, really did stand back out to me, but also the, the idea of hope and, how frail it can be, but also how amazingly strong it can be, and uh, yeah. start thinking about what the difference between um, what can what can get us to lose hope versus what can get us um, to stand firm in hope. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely want to dive into that a little bit more as well. Um, so, I think you know it's it's pretty clear this uh this devotion um or this passage um which is odd because when i remember when i wrote it i never really had thought about it in this context of hope before because it's a very common passage we hear every easter uh, passover about jesus going to pray and it's just it's become so much part of the story that it's easy to gloss over a lot of the small little details that you can draw out from it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, when I I read it with fresh eyes in a season, this was right after COVID hit, the world was burning and (laughs) my personal life was crumbling. Um, And God really just showed me like, this isn't, this is him offering an invitation to me to hope. And I think, you know, that, that invitation is for all of us. Um, And so kind of diving into the theme of hope first, and then we'll kind of dive into, um, uh, I think the, the partnership aspect. Um, Sure. Sounds good. Yeah. I asked the question to myself as I was reading this the other day um, in prep for this, this podcast is what, what causes our hope, to fail and for me recently um i uh well so that the i i'll be honest i've been really slack in the last couple of months about spending quality time with god um and especially that those morning devotions uh you know got to the point where i was w- my alarm was waking me up i'd hit snooze six times and then roll out of bed just in time for work um So this time change hit last week, right? And um, my body was waking up an hour earlier now than the clock. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know what? I need to take advantage of this. And I need to get myself back into a routine of spending time with God in the mornings. uh, Because when I do that, I feel the most connected to him. And. You know, there's a million different things to be said about the the importance of that morning devotion time. But I've been reading this book as part of my morning devotions called The Gift of Hard Things. And it's by Mark Iaconelli. Um, And it's all about finding grace in difficult and unexpected places. And he had a chapter on disappointment. And he he, in his chapter, he, he talks about... Um, how he had a failed ministry experience with uh, he had planned this event for months and months advertised, did everything, you know, every box checked to make sure it was a successful event. But then when, when it actually came time for the event, no one showed and uh, except for the volunteers. And uh, he, he, he said, you know, the volunteers had such a, such a good spirit about it that they want to, they wanted to go through with the event, regardless of if anyone was there and so you know they had fun amongst themselves but he just left devastated of this this immense disappointment and um and so he shares some other other stuff but at the end of this little chapter he has uh, a reflection statements and and questions and one of his reflection points was have you ever been disappointed at God mm. and mm. <laughs> dude I, i'm I'm going to be honest here. I lost it. Like I just started weeping because, um, the fact of the matter is, uh, I had a lot of expectations over the last couple months that God was going to do things like some things were promised to me that were going to happen and they didn't happen. And, um, and then, you know, so like this, It comes around as November and these things that were promised that were supposed to happen in October never happened. And I didn't really have words for how I was feeling about it until I read that quote, are you disappointed with God? And I realized, uh, yeah, I'm actually pretty disappointed right now. And so, you know, when your expectations are expecting something and you're counting on it and it doesn't happen, um, you start to kind of waver and hope because of that disappointment. And um, so it's amazing too, like how God just shows you like, you don't even have words for how you're feeling. You're just feeling some kind of way. And mm-hmm. then he, he's like, yeah, no, this is how you're feeling. <laughs> right. And it hits you like right. a ton of bricks and it just, you know. um, But b- because of that, I was able to start reshaping the way I was thinking Um, and remember that, you know, my joy doesn't come from uh, situations or circumstances or people or promises um, made by people. It comes from, from God. And if I really believe that God is good and faithful and wants the best for me, then You know, like I can be disappointed that that didn't happen the way it was it was said to have happened, but I can be firm in my faith, knowing that God has a better way for it to happen. Yeah, that's... Um, and so I think that kind of, for me, really solidified this idea of the fragility of hope versus the, the strength of hope. Are it, it's fragile yeah. and it's disappointment but it's strong and it's renewed faith. I like that. That's beautiful, man. That's
1: good stuff. I, um, I especially like, um, you were saying that you didn't, you, you were feeling these things, but you didn't have the words for them until you read that question. Um, that is a really, like, that's a really profound and beautiful kind of like, uh, experience and insight, it's uh, you know, like Romans says that uh, that the spirit within us groans, the Holy Spirit within us groans with words that can't be expressed. That and the idea is like <clears throat> you don't always have the words, but God does. But what we often don't think about is that God has the words, but He's also given us the words and so like you were reading it out of this devotional but really like that's the psalms like i find many times when uh when i'm when i uh when i'm struggling with things with with uh, with disappointment with frustration i love the psalms because the psalms are like right where right where that's at like like David is constantly going. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, Lord, but you let me down again. And it's like we don't we don't usually read it in that kind of English, but that's exactly mm-hmm. what he say. he's like. My soul is crushed. My my eyes are dry because I have cried so many tears. And it's mm-hmm. your fault. You let this happen to me. Like what is going on here? And and usually the psalms, the psalms open with with or either open with praise or they open with disappointment. They end up with disappointment somewhere in the middle, and then they close with rejoicing. But that's because it's a song, and so you get you get this kind of uh, resolution by the end, and so it's really easy to skip over the part where the tension is. But if you take your time and you read the text slowly and you really consider what the psalmist is saying, There's so much frustration and anger and struggle and and just irritation with god in the uh in the words of the psalms and i love that because um it makes me feel better about my own life because uh, i can totally relate to feeling like god didn't make good on his promises and frankly if you haven't if you haven't seen that in the scripture you're not paying attention like every single person in the scripture feels like God is not making good on His promises. Hmm. You can go all the way back to like what page four, right? So Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, and um and they have two children, their first two kids, Cain and Abel. And um there's a lot of uh there's a lot of uh, how shall I say uh, uh optimism about what Cain's name means um which i don't want to mess with whatever i think i talk about it in the book because it takes a little more time to explain but abel's name is actually the same word that gets translated in the book of ecclesiastes as vanity so Mm. abel's name is literally (laughs) see imagine like like what do you want to name this kid Disappointment, anxiety, frustration, (laughs) all those things in one breath name. (sighs) Like, what have you done (laughs) to me? I mean, like, it's all the way through, all the way through the scripture. Hmm. Feels like God's let them down. And and in some cases, it's their own fault. And in some cases, it's not framing their experience within the 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 way the truth is actually what the truth really is and uh and you know i mean there's different reasons why we get disappointed and um and but but yeah it's there it's it's, it's the common human experience and which is why hope is so important because the the common experience amongst man, separated from God, is to be disappointed with God that we're in this mess, and to be disappointed that life isn't working, and to be disappointed that all of our attempts to make life work fail and just make it worse. And we need hope. I mean, it's just that's that's
0: who we are. And yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you know, definitely.
0: Yeah. The 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 idea of hope, you know, of course. The idea of disappointment means that you were the the outcome did not meet the frame um, that you had the the frame the idea that you had of God the way you were framing him, um, and so you know Scripture teaches us to frame God as good and loving and faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and you know as you know the 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 term you know Jesus. In the passage right after this, Jesus refers to God as Abba, Father, which you know Abba is is daddy. It's an intimate way of saying daddy. And you know if you're going to have an intimate relationship with your father in such a way, you're going to believe he has good things for you, like he wants your best. Um, And you know we see we see a prime example of that in this in the story of the prodigal son. You know the father. He doesn't care what the son did. He wants the best for his son. So when he sees him coming right. back, he's like, dude, right. bring out the ring and the robe. Let's make a feast. You know, like he doesn't. Yeah, he, he just wants goodness for for us. Right. But when we experience disappointment, what we find happening is the enemy is coming in and using that as a way to make us forget who God is. And right. like really like try and destroy our framework for how we view God. And so we're no longer viewing God as good and loving and faithful. We're viewing God as like, okay, are you angry with me? Have I mm-hmm. done something wrong? Uh, are you really a good God? Or are you just mean and, and vengeful? Like what's, what's going on? You know, like, exactly. and so, yeah. and that's a real struggle. Like, i can't tell you how many times i've had to literally fight off the lie that god doesn't want good for me that god's just going to be mean to me the rest of my life you know like
1: yep yep (laughs) the uh i mean in so many ways if you look at like the the new testament letters of james and peter uh they're both framed within or written within that framework of like you've got these people who are who are being persecuted you've got these people who are um in uh, well they use the, both both peter and uh, first peter and uh, james uh greet their uh, readers as those who are in dispersion or uh, diaspora which is actually a term for um the exile uh the exile into Babylon. So it's an interesting term because um, they're obviously a couple of hundred years after that. But uh, but the idea is to kind of call back to um, to the earlier exile, which then of course um, draws out all of the the prophetic things that were connected to that. So like just that one Phrasing then like jumps you back to Jeremiah. It's like, hey, remember everything Jeremiah said to our people. Like, drag that forward, (laughs) apply all that here. But um, but yeah, it's like both of those letters are written with that framing, and um, and it's all about this idea of like, hey, you you thought that everything was gonna be okay, and now it's not. And how do you deal with that? Like, how do you Mm -hmm. live life in that um? in that reality. And especially, I mean, you you remember, keep in mind, you got to keep in mind that, like, especially the Jewish believers, like, they expected with Acts chapter two that like everything was coming to a conclusion. Like the Holy Spirit's poured out. The next step is that Messiah shows up, kicks everybody's butt and establishes Jerusalem as the new kingdom. Like that's why they're all hanging out so long. Why would you go anywhere? Like this is, this is uh, ground zero where it all is going to happen. It's like being in new york city on new year's eve like you know you don't go hey who wants to take an excursion to hoboken while uh while the ball drops you want to be in Times square like that's where it's all happening so acts chapter two happens and they're all like stay here and then persecution comes and it's like okay now what like this doesn't even make sense like we had all of these expectations and 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 now what what are we supposed to do with this and um Uh, We all live in in some kind of some kind of attention that's very similar to that. We just we build up ideas about what God's supposed to do and how he's supposed to behave and what he's supposed to give us and, and what our life is supposed to look like. And a lot of times he just breaks that on us and we're like, hey, 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 that's not what a good
0: father does. (laughs) yeah you know as as a father and i'm sure you can relate to this there's so many times where we have to bring our kids back into reality of how they're expected to act and how they're expected to participate and 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 view the world you know um and I think especially in our culture now of just entitlement, you know, our kids expect that, you know, they just, they feel that they're entitled to these things. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. the, 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 the old understanding of, no, uh, you earn this. This is something right. that you do based on your merit or your, your um, you know, um, your hard work. Um, right. Then you get the reward um and you know like breaking that to a kid sometimes especially in our modern day mindset is like what right (laughs) oh yeah yeah you're mean you're cruel
1: (laughs) right no i love you more than your comfort Mm -hmm. Uh, it's time to go out and clean the yard yeah but it, it it's it's not even just that it's like there's there's so many different aspects that yeah the fatherhood thing is a great correlation like um like my kids um my youngest and all of my young ones have been this way they eventually outgrow it but my youngest love chocolate milk always and um they wake up in the morning expecting there to be chocolate milk now you have to take the regular milk and put the chocolate syrup in it to make the chocolate milk but they don't know how it works they just know like they ask for chocolate milk and poof there's chocolate milk right and so they wake up in the morning they expect it to be there it's like where's my chocolate milk it's like well i haven't made it yet like well why not where's your cup i don't know i don't need a cup you just magically make it appear there's chocolate milk (laughs) and so like sometimes you have to wait for chocolate milk and it's like oh no not waiting Ah!" right like so there's there's the the process of just ridiculously ridiculous things of just like learning how to wait right Mm -hmm. and and that can feel like suffering at times um sometimes uh you have uh you have people over to the house and you have family come over is it whatever and it's like okay guys we're not gonna play on a video game right now or we're not gonna watch tv right now we're gonna sit at the table and talk it's like what no that's but i need time to play and it's like you're not you're not being punished it's not even a major like lesson in the sense of like you need to earn things in life it's just we we're gonna talk because that's what people do adult humans spend time together interacting and one day you'll be an adult human so therefore you're going to spend time interacting as well and uh but because they think that what they need at the moment is to watch a tv show or to play a video game or or whatever it is that they want to do then that feels like punishment And it's like no we're just no we're just talking it's okay it's part of growing up you and i think there's a lot of times that when we interact with god it's that same kind of thing where we're just like we have such a myopic perspective of what our life should be and god's like no i have this for you and we're like what a
0: good father wouldn't do that to me (laughs) exactly um well you know bringing that back Around uh, to the devotional, there's the imagery I use of, of you know the the watchmen in the tower, guarding the city uh, against the powerless night. You know, and the night being symbolic, of course, for seasons of of suffering or hardship or hopelessness. Um, yeah, and you know the the aspect of of community there with with God, like He is there with us in in the night. He's not just asking us to go stand guard by ourselves. He's asking us to stand guard with him. And um, and to kind of even bring that a little bit further, like you know, he doesn't just take one disciple like Peter or John and say, hey, watch with me. He takes multiple disciples and says, hey, watch with me. And I think the idea of the community um, is very important here because yeah. – it's in the community of others that you know we have strength. Uh, I, in my experience, is when I was most isolated in my life, had the least amount of community, genuine friendship, companionship, um, is when I got into the most amount of trouble, mm-hmm. and uh, where hopelessness got um, so bad in my life that you know I ran into uh, addiction and all kinds of things. So. Um, I think it's really cool imagery here that even in this short passage, Jesus is not just inviting one person to just keep watch. He's inviting a community of people to keep watch together with him. Um, so the, the, the element of we're not in this alone, uh, no matter how hopeless things seem, we're not in this alone. Uh, it's yeah. just very powerful to me that's
1: no that's very good it's very good yeah i think um yeah the the concept of community is uh, is just so uh, so central to um to uh to the the message of the scripture the overarching uh meta-narrative of the scripture um page 1 right so god makes uh, man in his image and he makes man as two like mm-hmm. immediately you have this sense of of community in the relationship and i mean you could argue that that even earlier than that with the use of the hebrew word elohim there's the indicator of god as community as well but that's a slightly more complicated theological thing to unpack the The fact that God makes man in, as His image, and that it's two, it's male and female, is just a huge statement about God's intention for us to be in multiplicity. And then, um, as time goes on, that like the 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 whole point of Adam and Eve as God's image to to represent Him before the world and to be fruitful and multiply is this idea of creating. Greater community, so it's like right there embedded in in the very first chapter, um, and then it goes on, right? Like the um, the word for church that shows up in the New Testament, and while the word that we translate as church also complicated anyway, um, the the word that gets translated as church, ecclesia uh, in the New Testament, is actually used in the Septuagint. For like every time that God's people in Israel gather together as a collective, the the community of faith called out to stand together and and to hear the word of God and to and to be in relationship with each other. It's just a fascinating concept that runs all the way through the scripture. And um and yet somehow, somehow we tend to to either turn the 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 faith into a an organization that you just get absorbed into or into a hyper individualistic experience where it's just you and Jesus and that's all you need and neither one of those is really a good representation of what what the scripture the the biblical narrative seems to indicate the community is central to who we are and if we mm-hmm. could apply that to like every every aspect of, of how we operate from the way our leadership and our bible teaching works all the way down to the way we we expect our individual spiritual lives to work we would be so much better off
0: yeah yeah i think um our our world and our culture and our churches don't really do a good job of teaching the importance of community. Um, the The so, pastor at my the pastor at my church I go to now um, he showed a video uh, probably a couple of years ago. It this video of um, I think it was Buffalo or gazelle or some some kind of African. Um, oh. animal, you know, um, and they're herding. Yeah, my mind to Buffalo, New York. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no. Like water buffalo or something. I don't know, whatever. Um, the this this herd of animals, right? They're they're um they're, there's a bunch of lions prowling around them, and so they start kind of scattering and herding. And what the lions are doing is they're trying to to single out the young and the weak get them right. isolated from the herd yep. so that they can attack. And yep. what I found interesting about this video is that the, uh, the, the baby animal that was being attacked runs into the the river trying to escape. But as soon as it jumps in the river, there's a crocodile waiting for it and the right. crocodile starts attacking. Um, but so it's like trying to escape from the crocodile and the lions, but one thing I found fascinating was that a group of the the herd came back and started surrounding this baby. And as soon as they did that, it made it impossible for um, that, that animal to be attacked. Yeah. So the lions gave up. And of course, you know, as soon as it was out of the water, the crocodile gave up, but um, it was just a powerful imagery to me of the importance of community because And that's exactly what the devil wants us to do is get isolated, get us alone. So we feel hopeless and then we just, we give up. We don't have the strength to keep going. But uh, the community in that instance came around that animal and defended it. And so that's, that's what the the (laughs) community is there for. Um, And so I'll never forget that video.
1: That's awesome. And if animals would do that by instinct, how much more so should people who have the Spirit of God in them know how to take care of
0: their own? Mm-hmm. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I mean, I will have to say, uh, there has been some uh, communities of faith that I've been in that um, did not do that for way. me. <clears throat> <clears throat> and uh, they kicked me to the curb, let me be eaten by crocodiles. Mm-hmm. But, I I've
1: got- that church.
0: Hey, we said we wouldn't talk about that church today. <laughs> oh no, that was a different one. Anyway, um. oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, no, it's just uh, it's a beautiful image, though, and and I think it's very um, well displayed here in the story where Jesus is, is inviting his disciples to pray with him and the power of that. Uh, oh, yeah. You had some really good thoughts about. This idea of divine covenant or divine partnership uh, that yeah. is talked about—you um, wanna, you wanna share some of those? Um, well, there's a lot there, uh, but yeah,
1: no. The uh, the thing that um, the thing that I find really fascinating about the uh, the overarching biblical narrative is the way in which everything kind of comes back to this idea of uh of covenant god makes covenant with us um covenant of course being a concept that would have been very um uh, very well understood by those in the ancient near east not as well understood by us in 21st century um america especially but uh but it's not exactly like a contract right it's it's a little more intense than that but in a covenant Two people are bound together. They are essentially to become one. One of the things that's really interesting about Genesis two, um, when you have that whole thing about Adam and Eve coming together, is that even though the word covenant is never used to describe the moment that that they come together, um, the idea of uh, of Eve being taken out of Adam's side and that indicates bloodletting which is a part of covenant um in when making a covenant you would take an animal and you'd split it in half and so the very language of her being taken from adam's half or adam's side is the language of covenant um in uh in ancient near eastern times a covenant um you would have a covenant head and everyone that came out of his household or, or out from under his household was a part of the covenant with him so the idea that she's taken out of adam also is this indicator of the idea that she would have been under his headship so he's created first but she's a part of that so there's like there's a lot there to that and then the two being one flesh is also like covenant language because when two people covenanted together they became like one um not mm-hmm. in that alchemist sense but like in the uh in the sense that their lives became intertwined and whatever happened to the one impacted the other and so you had unconditional covenants where the the greater would make covenant with the lesser and and promise to do things no matter what the uh, the lesser did in response and then you had conditional covenants where um where the uh, the actions of the um of the lesser would impact the way in which the greater would respond and you see both of those fascinatingly you see both of those in the scripture um in those places where like god will say like i'll never leave you or forsake you like no matter what you do i've got you and then you got those places where god's like now listen if you do this you'll be blessed and if you do this bad stuff's gonna happen. So <laughs> like like you get both. And and that requires a little bit of uh uh care when you're exegeting the text to really distinguish between those statements and those promises because if you if you if you get them mixed up you can you can kind of go down a rabbit hole that doesn't end well you may meet a Mad Hatter down there somewhere but anyway the point is that the point is that uh that this idea of Covenant partnership this idea well of Covenant is directly connected to to partnership which is probably the easiest the easiest word that I've found in in the current American vernacular to really describe what covenant accomplishes is a partnership between two parties. And so what that means is that when God makes covenant with us, what he's actually doing is he's inviting us into partnership with him. Um, One of the places where this is really beautifully seen is second Peter, where um, in the letter of second Peter, Peter starts out and he says that God has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness so that we might be full participants In the divine nature or in the divine um in the divine concept it's it's a weird thing because it's not nature in the sense of like being as god is like in his essence it's the idea of being as god is in his work and the working out of his personality and his character and his his nature so it's a but that idea we have been called and gifted and empowered to be full participants with what god is doing and so or like acts where where you see where um acts chapter two where it says that the um the early believers the early converts were um were abiding in the apostles teaching and in their fellowship, but the word is koinonia, which literally means partnership. And mm-hmm. so, have, again, this concept of covenant partnership. And so that's just this huge idea all through the scripture. And you see it expressed really beautifully in, in this text where Jesus is like, hey, guys, I, um, I'm a wreck right now. Like I'm broken and I'm scared. And this kind of sucks. And I know it's coming and you have no clue. But if you would come and hang out with me, so I don't mm. have to be alone. And that's just that's so profound that that thing of community, but community with God, like it's not just God saying, Okay, you guys need each other. This is God in the flesh saying, I need you come Mm -hmm. be a part of me and it's almost so profound that it's hard to like know what to do with it because we just don't think of we just don't think of of god that way we think of god as as needing nothing and and technically theologically speaking god does need nothing but then you have this revelation of god saying I I want you to be here with me because I'm struggling, and it's like okay, but so where do we put that? It's like it totally breaks the category,
0: <clears throat> right? It, it 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 does because we struggle with the the. The understanding of God is divine and God is human. And in this particular passage, we are seeing the, the Christ who is 100% man feeling these right. emotions and dealing with this toil and this grief. And um, it's really hard for us to, to know how to intertwine or combine the, the, the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ because you're right, God needs nothing, right, but right. <laughs> God created us because He wanted that fellowship. Yeah. You know, going back to what you said earlier, we you know we're created in the image of God because God wanted something other than Himself to fellowship with, right. and um, here we see Jesus living out you know, the worst nightmares of his humanity. And he wants us to fellowship with him. He was asking his best friends to stay there and pray with him and just be present with him. And, um, you know, like the idea that uh, we are Christ to others um, I think can be displayed here in this passage because when others are suffering, Yes. And they're needing someone just to be present with them and yeah. just to pray with them and just to cry with them. When we do that for others, we are being Christ to them. Oh, um, very good. Or you could even say we're being like the disciples to Christ. Of course, we know the disciples did a pretty lousy job of keeping watch with Jesus. <laughs> I think that should be part two.
1: I don't think we should handle that right now. Yes. no. <laughs> Continue to be shit. Uh, um, yeah it's, it's so kind we, of interesting though actually to piggyback off of what you just said it's interesting I hadn't really thought about that um, Henry uh, Henry nowen talks about uh, I think I said that right that might not be how he pronounces his mm-hmm. last name he's now, and now. check um, I probably could check that sounded horrible we'll cut that out anyway um, <laughs> but he, the, uh, he talks about the he talks about the the Ministry of presence. And it's right. And the idea that, that sometimes you just need to be with someone that, that that you are Christ in that moment, that Christ through you ministers and um, and so you just have to be there. And, uh, and it's interesting because um, that is actually one of the more difficult concepts for pastors to get. Um, we have a tendency to want to fill up all of the empty spaces with noise um, because mm. we're scared that if we're not talking then we're not accomplishing anything and if people haven't heard us say something you know really insightful then we haven't done our jobs and to just be with someone is is hard and um and in the same way Jesus invites them to come and pray with him and then they're like yeah sure well yeah yeah and then they fall asleep like it it really is kind of the same way that we're like yeah i'll be there for you um uh, while i'm here can i share these ideas and people are like i don't need your ideas just just be here yeah okay yeah yeah just be here yeah yeah
0: uh can i take a nap (laughs) (laughs) yeah i It is funny because, you know, I have I have dealt with a situation where one of my teenagers passed away. And uh, I remember going to the hospital and, uh, you know, his 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 parents were just they were a mess. I mean, they were falling apart and I had no words like none. Like I felt like such a terrible, bad youth pastor because I had no words to comfort them. And uh, I remember talking with my senior pastor about that. And he said, you know what, David, you were there. That's all that matters. Yeah. Yep. And, um, <clears throat> and you know, that was a little bit of consolation. But I still like, you know, the the human in me wants to, like you said, fill up that space with something witty or something to bring some a little bit of joy or life into this terrible situation. But I had none of that. And, uh, and I, part of it was too, I was grieving because this was one of my kids, you know, I, I'd known him and I've been yeah. teaching him for a couple years. And so like yeah. as someone who was also grieving, trying to comfort someone who is grieving, the most I had to give was just my presence. Right. And, you know, yeah. And that's, and actually that's, that's enough. Too, right. That is enough.
1: And too often, too often when we fill in the spaces, Um, we don't give uh, we don't give space for for grief and disappointment and and suffering we don't give space for that to breathe in a sense people need to breathe through that stuff they need to Mm -hmm. have a moment to process it um and and what we do is when we fill up all the spaces we rob people of the opportunity to actually process what's happening and then they have to process it later when you're not there. And, and mm-hmm. the, the experience of, of a hard thing, especially when grief is involved, well, really, I mean, all disappointment and suffering has an element of grief, because it all has an element of death. But, but speaking specifically of the experience of death, which is much more in your face, um, the, the shared experience of grief is a powerful healing agent that if all we do is fill that space up with words, trying to attempt to feel like we've accomplished something, we actually rob people of the opportunity to grieve with us or grieve in community, which can help to, to help them process it in a way that brings healing. If you make them do that on their own later, then you've robbed them of that experience of community. So saying nothing is often the best thing you can do.
0: Yeah. Um, And also not being afraid of silent space. Yes. (laughs) I've had to learn that, you know, just in in conversations with others, you know, too. It's like you get to this point where like, okay, it's went silent. Well, don't be scared of that let right give that time for what that person just said to sink in for you know um conversation to arise naturally and remember you're just there you're present with them in that moment um yes so Uh, well, we're, uh, breaching about the hour mark. Um, I wanted to kind of circle back real quick and talk about, uh, you'd mentioned, you know, the invitation covenant as an invitation into something, um, into partnership with God. And I remember, um, when I was at Duke, uh, this idea of divine, um, partnership really, really kind of popped out at me as something I'd never really thought about before. And, um, as as we are going over communion liturgy, it hit me. You know, communion is is the new covenant, the making of the new covenant that Christ says, and um, oftentimes we can get stuck into this idea of you know, well, communion is that time when we confess our sins before God, and then we take a little bread and some grape juice, and you know, we feel sad about everything. Um, but really, dude, communion. <laughs> Communion is a celebration. <laughs> I love you're laughing right <laughs> now. <laughs> yes, that's what everybody um, thinks. You're
1: right. No. <laughs> Wait, I get a little bread, I get a little juice. Not enough to taste, just enough to do the ritual.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, it was bad because my church in Asheville I worked at used the uh, the sweet Hawaiian bread. And boy, that is like the sweetest reminder of God's gift ever. <laughs> I wanted to go back up for seconds. Is that allowed with communion?
1: <laughs> well, it depends on whether or, not, whether or not you're in the church that consecrates it before you eat it or not. <laughs> you can't have two pieces oh. of bread. Right? Um, <clears throat> like, well, so I mean, Hawaiian actually shockingly tastes a lot like challah bread too. So that's, that's pretty cool. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's sweetness and there's a sweetness to it. It's not quite the same, um, density or, or texture, but the, the taste is somewhat similar. Um, that's why it's that's why the, the Sabbath bread is so good.
0: But, um, <laughs> anyway, Austin, Uh, what I was it. gonna say is, I started anyway, keep going, keep going. We'll talk about food, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I thing get it, get it should be something, it should really be something of a celebration because what. Communion is, is reminding us of is that we are being invited into something bigger than ourselves. Yes. And that invitation is the invitation to partner with God in whatever he's doing in the world. Yes. Um, and so, you know, it takes the focus off of ourselves, what we're going through and it puts it onto something bigger and grander and more important. And, um, When we find that purpose all of a sudden of partnering with what God's doing, we Mm -hmm. have something to look forward to, and that can fill us with hope. Um, And so it's just like reframing communion from something where I didn't really understand it. It was just something, okay, I'm going to confess my sins and do this ritual to something of, oh, I'm being invited into something bigger than myself to do the work that God is already doing and I get to be a part of it. That's so cool. You know? Um, And, you know, I made the statement in my devotion because this is, this sticks with me everywhere I go. God does not ask you to do anything that he's not already doing. And, um,
1: John, very good. I like that.
0: Like, yeah. So, if he's asking you to go through a hard time in your life, that means he's going through it already with you. And he's going to go through the next chapter with you in the next chapter. If he's asking you to go on the mission field, guess what? He's already there on that mission field doing the work. Um, That's so it's <clears throat> that, is,
1: that is profound insight there. You could spend another two or three hours just on that alone. That's, yeah.
0: Very good. Yeah. Well. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up this conversation? I have no idea how much
1: time we have left. I uh, I preach for about an hour usually, so um, my final thought. <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> I keep telling my people, I'm like, I'm gonna trim this down. I, I don't know why I'm talking so long. But then they don't like fall asleep on me. They just keep listening. So I keep talking. Mm. It's it's very problematic.
0: Like never mm. never pay attention to a preacher who'll just keep talking. Uh- <laughs> well if I ever visit your church, I will intentionally fall asleep for you. At about a go. 45 minute yeah, marker. That would <laughs> help me tremendously.
1: Um, no, I, I, uh, I really like that insight about um, communion. And the thing that's uh, just to piggyback off of that, um, I just think um, one of the things that's really fascinating to me is that when you look at the, the, the concept, the language of um, Genesis 1, where we're created as God's image. Um, the, uh, it's the same word that's used for idol throughout the Bible. And so when you think about what an idol is for an idol is to represent a deity an idol is to um is to be the mediator between yourself and the deity the idol is to be empowered by the the power of the deity and then bless you with that empowerment that was what they believed about idols and so god is like no 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 you don't need idols i've made you the image and so the whole intent for man is that we would represent god that we would be empowered by his spirit that we would be the mediator between god and creation god and and the rest of the world and that through our through our act as his image that we would bless the world and you see that kind of play its way out all through the the biblical narrative in terms of what god wants from his people and communion, when we take it is a reminder that in a very real sense, we are God in fleshed. And so Mm -hmm. the ministry of Jesus is in fact, our ministry, the intention of God is that we would be Jesus hands and feet like and that sounds so cliched except that that is like literally the whole point point. and so yeah when we come to communion we become a part of something bigger than just us having a transaction with God over our sins we are reminded that we are a part of this greater um this greater dramatic narrative and uh and a part of God's God's fulfilling God's purposes in the world. We are literally his covenant partners.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. You know, as you were you were saying um, that, remind me, I posted a quote on my Facebook by um, Paul David Tripp the other day, and it goes along with this. I want to read it real quick. Um, yeah. Let me pull that up. Um, so it says, uh, so this is uh, from David Paul Tripp. Uh, His book, New Morning Mercies, it says, God is not satisfied with informing you about the work of his kingdom. He transforms you to participate in the work of his kingdom. Everyone who has been brought into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ has been drafted into the ministry of the Lord Jesus. He really does mean to employ all his children in his work of redemption. You have been called to be the look on his face tone in uh, uh, the tone of his voice and to touch you know sorry and the touch of his hand you are to represent his presence and his love um and i thought man that as soon as you said the hands and feet like i thought of that quote and i just love the idea like we were supposed to be the look on his face or the tone of his voice fantastic that is wonderful
1: yeah i tell my people here all the time i'm like you know when people say well uh what's god like they should be able to answer that question from you like what's god like he's like my neighbor he's like Hmm. my cousin he's like my father he's like my son like they should be able to answer that question by looking at you
0: wow yeah that's an awesome thought that's a scary thought actually (laughs) <laughs> because i don't know I'm about you finished. i fail so terribly in that. You
1: <laughs> you're like wait wait me the guy who's disappointed angry and miserable all the time but <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's why they're great <laughs> oh,
0: that's dude that's hmm well, for our viewers out there, I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation. Um, I hope that you'll take a lot of these things and, and think about them further. And uh, don't hesitate to reach out to uh, me or even even uh, the Reverend Dr. Joshua Shrunk here. Um, and I uh, appreciate you listening. As always, uh, you can find the devotion on OthersideofGrace.com. And it's called Keep Watch With Me Part 1. and um, Check us out everywhere you can listen to podcasts. Um, Josh, it's been an honor having you here. I hope to have you back sometime soon.
1: That would be awesome. That would be awesome. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks
0: for having me. Absolutely. All right, guys. See y'all later.